Welcome to the BCMA podcast. Thank you everyone for joining us for this special episode of the BCMA podcast. I'm Leah, the Learning Resources Coordinator. And I'm Koei, and I'm the Indigenous Outreach and Partnership Coordinator. Today we are talking to you about Rutherford Falls. So if you missed the Watercolor Wednesday of August, we talked about this show that's airing on Amazon Prime called Rutherford Falls. It is by the writers of Parks and Rec. Koei, do you want to give us a little spiel about the basic plot line? Yeah. So Rutherford Falls is a comedy series about two lifelong friends, Nathan Rutherford, played by Ed Helms, and Regan Wells, played by Jana Schmieding, whose relationship is tested when a crisis hits their small town. After the mayor decides to move a statue of Nathan's ancestor because car drivers keep crashing into it, Nathan begins a quest to keep the statue in its place, causing Regan to juggle loyalty to her friend and to her people, people, the Minishanka Nation. Nathan's judgment is clouded by his narrow view of his family's history, while Regan balances her career goals with her place in her community. As Nathan's childhood friend and closest confidant, Regan aids his journey to discover the truth of his family as the founders of Rutherford Falls. I was so excited to watch this and get to record it for work. I think that this is such a great way to talk about some pretty tricky topics. It's genuinely funny. And I say that not only as a museum professional, but as a person who watched it with some friends who are not museum professionals, this show is hilarious. So we're going to talk about the first four episodes. So if you haven't gotten through episode four, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about it. You probably want to watch it first. So we'll talk about one, two, three, and four, and then we'll record for the rest of the season next week. So this is your chance to stop listening if you haven't watched up to episode four. Warning. Okay. We're going to start with the first episode, the pilot episode. And I just want to say that the whole first scene of the TV show for me was a moment of like, ah, yes, this is how this TV show is going to go. Because you watch this lady crash into the statue in her car and she's talking to the police officer. She says, why is there a statue in the middle of the street? And he kind of looks at her and says, because it's always been there. And her response is, that's dumb. And I just felt like that set the tone for everything that we were going to talk about and all the themes that come up. Because the reason that it's always been there or it's always been done this way is dumb. Yeah, I really like the language and that it's blunt without being too confronting. There's a great balance of comedy and truth in everything. And yeah, like you alluded to, I think a big reason why this statue is still there and nobody questioned it is because it's very much a white narrative. And as the series goes on, you really touch on the fact that if it's a white settler narrative or history, it's just there. And that's the only reason generally, uh, especially because the people in power are white settlers who don't see anything wrong with this history. And Nathan Rutherford is kind of at the helm of that being the 
crusader, the leader of keeping alive this history of the Rutherfords in Rutherford Falls, we start this journey of him trying to keep the statue in its place because he wants to mark this historical moment where he feels it was a fair agreement between the Rutherfords and the Minnesota nation. As we get into it, we learn that it's not a fair agreement and that his views are, you know, very much clouded by the fact that this is his family and, you know, he doesn't see the whole picture. Yeah. And I think that when we talk about Nathan, you learn that he lives in a house that is also the museum of Rutherford Falls, which is really a giant narrative of his family creating this town and the, the statue sits on the exact spot, apparently the exact spot where the Minnesota nation and the Rutherford leader signed this agreement to like work together and live on the land and everything is great, which is a whole issue we'll get into in later episodes. But I think you just automatically in the first episode get the impression of, oh, okay, like he knows his stuff, but as a museum person watching our sector struggle with trying to include diverse narratives, you can already tell like everything is going to go wrong. And it's really telling there's little bits of this episode that catch me off guard where it's really subtle subversion. Like he's talking to the class that comes in to go through the museum and he talks about the statue and one kid goes, why didn't they put a statue up of a Minashanka person as well? And he struggles with the question for a little bit. He says, well, you know, bronze was expensive or some lame excuse that's not correct. Like the reason there isn't one is because it was not the Minashanka that were important in the telling of that story for the Rutherfords. And then he starts talking about that. If you want to learn more about the Minashanka nation, you can go to the cultural center and immediately gets interrupted because some kid is touching his diorama in the museum and it puts him off on a whole nother tangent about not touching objects and he never goes back to say but you should go to the cultural center so it's just not an important story for him very subtle in in showing you what's important to Nathan Rutherford yeah and when we get our first glimpse of the cultural center uh, and the struggles that Regan has with improving visitor numbers experience to increase the number of items in her collection I think it speaks to where the supports are um, in some communities and that she doesn't have the financial backing of Rutherford Inc that we find out that Nathan has so he his museum is funded by this huge corporation, whereas Regan doesn't have this funding. She's supported by a nation leader, Terry, who we'll chat about a little bit more and who's really important in this series. With his work, he, he's doing his best to help out other community members and Regan goes to him looking for more funds and speaks to the importance of having a cultural center And Terry goes into all of the other really great organizations and like community initiatives that he supports already. So there's that kind of like balance between priority and who gets funding. Because like I said, Terry, he's supporting all these other great groups, but it leaves poor Reagan in the pickle. Yeah. As people who are located in Canada, casino revenue is not something that we have a lot of information about here. But it's a huge source of funding for programs like Terry mentioned when Regan asks for the funding and she says, oh, I need $650,000 or something. And Terry sarcastically proposes cutting funding from language revitalization or the women's program or the food program. 
And then she says, oh, sorry, no, I don't want to undercut that. I think is indicative of this lack of funding where federal funds are earmarked for specific purposes. And those purposes are not always culturally relevant or community relevant. They're very blanketed policies. Um, And so Indigenous communities who have casino money have this opportunity to pump this funding into things that really matter for their community, like food programs or like cultural programs. And we don't see that a lot in Canada in the same way, but I think it's an important thing to note is that there's this funding that comes in from casinos that is so incredibly useful, but the cultural center is stuck in this weird gray area of like, it's useful and it's great, but if the community isn't going to be behind it and Regan isn't going to power it forward, it's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I feel yeah. bad for, for Regan. I know. And just for context for people who haven't watched this episode, Regan's Cultural Center is in this kind of back room within Terry's casino. So she, you know, tries to bring folks in that are in the casino without much luck. And she speaks to how people stumble in thinking like the way in the washroom or you could, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting place for her to be in and the start of where we learn how she brings a community into the cultural center and really brings value for the community and not just something that she champions on her own. And I think there's this interesting dynamic between Nathan and Regan that you start to get to know in this episode as well, where Nathan is the white settler with the family name. Uh, Regan is the community member from the Minashanka Nation, but they're sitting in the bar. And this to me was a moment of like, oh my goodness, because you know, Nathan is is bemoaning the fact that the community is not understanding the importance of the history of the Rutherford statue. And he says something like, I'm the one telling the whole story. And you're, you're just sitting there, like looking at them at this table in this bar and uh, Regan mentions offhanded that she went to school and she goes to Northwestern and she has a PhD or a, a master's or something yes. like so they're sitting at this table and there's this interesting dynamic of these two best friends from school because you learn later that they've been friends since the fourth grade and Regan is I would almost like crazy overqualified really wanting to represent her community in the cultural center and wanting to tell those stories and then you have Nathan who's this white dude with a name And he's gone to college, but it never gets mentioned where he went to school. But there's this dichotomy of who can and is and should tell the stories. And it's kind of sickeningly realistic. Yeah. And I also think with Nathan, it's interesting. And I I wonder if a lot of folks feel the same way is that him not representing the whole history of the community. It's not intentional. He doesn't even realize it to a degree. So I think it's really nice to see where there's learning opportunities. And Regan is a huge help for Nathan throughout this whole series of realizing his position, his privileges, and that she wasn't afforded certain privileges, her community wasn't, and that it's important to be telling these stories. Well, it's not even stories, it's a history. It almost makes me crazy how much he's like an ostrich with his head stuck in the sand. There's moments where he's just got blinders on and it's the blinders that society has built him and there's moments where you're making the blinders yourself like you are actively avoiding all of these conversations and so for a while I flip-flopped and in the end I I have zero sympathy for Nathan Rutherford I'm sorry none I'm an empathetic person I swear I just have none for him 
because uh, he just doesn't even want to go there. Regan even goes to the point of stroking his ego and appealing to his bravado here and says, moving the statue is a great idea. Here's how you can make it work. And then he says some ridiculous comment about if you move it, it removes its specificity and the context of place and blah, blah, blah. And she just hits him with a reality check so hard in the basement of the house about the fact that Indigenous history has been removed from context for so long and deal with it. Like, it's not unique to the statue in this moment. It's not a white person problem. It's a huge problem. And it's been done to communities for decades and centuries. And so she reality checks him so hard and you watch him evade it. Like he's making these blinders for himself. And and Regan affords him so much lenience with his response to her like suggestions and, and trying to peel off those blinders. And she even mentions putting like that bronze like decal in the concrete in instead of the statue. And he just, he's not into it. There's a lack of flexibility with him that I think over the series starts to erode a little bit. Definitely for this first bit, there's a lot of learning opportunities for Nathan. Thanks to Regan. Thanks for Regan. She is a patient, kind person. She has more empathy for him than I could ever. Yeah. So you know what? The thing about episode two is that you learn about this mentor that Nathan has. And maybe that's where part of this comes from. There's a professor who's this old timey, white, educated history buff who's thinking it's insanely outdated. And no wonder Nathan is the way he is. This is the person he idolizes. And he plays into the whole idea that moving Larry would be historical erasure, which is so overdramatic for a family that has a town and a company all named after them. And this is probably a personal opinion, but I got the sense that the professor doesn't even believe what he's saying, really. I think he knows that it's serving his agenda and it's perhaps easier for him to spew these narratives about Rutherford Falls and the history and like perhaps the rest of his work because you get the impression that this isn't everything for him and that he it's been decades of speaking like this about history and why should it change and Nathan definitely plays into that like you say this is his idol this is potentially an old professor who again feeds into his own narrative and they just feed off of each other and Nathan doesn't really see that he's digging himself a hole by you know strengthening this relationship with this professor yeah and then it's only like when a really horribly racist comment comes up in their recording of their podcast that Nathan backtracks and he has this moment where he's like oh wait that's too far let's not put that in the podcast and the professor just is like no that's going in the podcast that's going to get me all the publicity I could ever want and then you end up with the corporation there to save the day because they make sure that it doesn't get released and that's the power of money and a good name right like mm-hmm. it power and money that's my lesson power and money yes and Nathan doesn't appreciate the big Rutherford Inc the work that they do and he very quickly forgets what made him uncomfortable in that podcast recording and I think conveniently too because it wouldn't serve his whole Rutherfords are the founders of Rutherford Fall and how wonderful and the relationships that they built because a big thing that he pushes is this collaborative relationship with the Minashanka Nation when in reality it wasn't 
And it takes him quite a while to realize that what he has looked into with his family history is what they have perpetuated. And they're, like you mentioned before, so much missing in the nuances of agreements and how communities were kind of forced into them and how land was taken away, et cetera. So I think you eventually start to see him realize that what he feels is his history isn't as uh, positive as it really is. At this point, we've also had the crazy speech from the pedestal at Founders Day, which, you know, Colonial Holiday, Founders Day. And like, so this is really the second time that that the corporation has stepped in to say, we're going to make sure that doesn't go up on the internet. So like his speech ends up getting scrubbed from the internet and the podcast gets scrubbed and he just doesn't recognize that's a privilege that he has and that someone is protecting him and got his back. And yeah, it's, um, it's all because good. he doesn't want to move the statue. All <laughs> because he doesn't want to move a statue. Give me a break. Yeah. Um, the Buckhart Lodge situation is a whole thing we could unpack. I, I wrote this note that it was just a hidey hole of male white dominance protected on parkland. And that basically sums up my feelings about Buckhart Lodge is that it's this ridiculous place. And he, because he, he mentions something about it being on a park, one more layer of privilege and white narrative that I is so briefly mentioned, but I could not handle. Mm-hmm. And it's not only like white settler kind of quote unquote history that's protected, but it's on indigenous land or what I'm assuming is indigenous land ultimately yeah. that is then protected and run and looked after by whatever parks board. <laughs> and it's just, a, it's very layered. And even yeah. like the professor drunkenly breaks in and there's no repercussions for them going into there illegally yes because nathan is like oh like because regan comes to save the day because she's the best friend that he could ever ask for and he's so ungrateful but she comes in and she's like what are we going to do about cleaning up and he says just leave a note for so-and-so the parks keeper she'll know what to do and you're not even going to get in trouble for this thing that you did and then regan takes the bowl And and my initial thought was, oh my gosh, I hope she doesn't expect Nathan to cover for her on that because if it goes bad, he's not going to help her the way that she helps him. And then she ends up putting it up in the cultural center as a private donation. And Terry, the CEO, comes over and reads private donation. And he says it in such a knowing way that he's like, I know exactly how this got here and I'm not going to ask, which made me laugh quite a bit. I'm glad that she took it, that she saw it, took took that chance because it's rightfully belongs to her people and not in some protected parks made up building about settler histories. It was great to see that being put back and her becoming more empowered to, I'm going to say repatriate basically these um, items to her community, right? And that's just the start of it. Mm -hmm. Terry takes Regan out on this community tour of sorts where he's trying to drum up some support for a project and he takes her with him because she says I'm not getting anywhere with the community they don't want to be involved they don't want to support the cultural center and he says they don't want to support you like it's a family politics deal and it's this whole day of Regan does all these community service acts where she's chopping wood she cocks someone's bathtub like rebuilding these community connections where she is in service of the community 
not at all how she expected to be at the, at the cultural center through that lens, but just physically doing things. He says to her, this is how you're going to build connections. And she talks about how he's doing this all for his own good. And there must be something that's coming out of it for him. But I didn't love the way Terry was portrayed to this point. And I know that it will get better because it's only the second episode. And this is really just laying the plot lines and the the building blocks of everyone's character. But I didn't love the way Terry was portrayed at this point because I just thought, yeah, he is a shark. And it makes him seem like he's taking advantage of every possible manipulative tactic that he could come up with but it was nice because he's being very protective and he really wants the best for his community and so he is cutthroat in the face of politics and whiteness and taking advantage of those opportunities because he has to because that's the way the system is and that's the way you have to play the game to get ahead because that's the creation of settler colonialism Mm -hmm. Terry mentions the years he had put into building relationships to doing things like cutting the wood and I think it's just it was a really great example of the work that needs to be done to build community relationships. Mm -hmm. I think it really put the importance of relationship building front and center where Regan maybe got exposed to different ways of doing things through her master's in museums. It really brings it back to community. Like it really... It's about building trust because I think her justification is that this cultural center is in service of the community and that she is doing all this work for everyone. Mm-hmm. But that the community doesn't trust her because she hasn't had uh, you know close relationship with folks leading up to this point. I think in part because her leaving for school, there needs to be work to build that trust and those relationships before she can ever argue to represent the community with this cultural center. Mm -hmm. And I think we see a lot of that dynamic when Terry visits Nathan at the museum because Nathan has the chew stick on display and he says, oh, it's so-and-so Rutherford's chew stick. And he starts to lecture Terry about what a chew stick is made of and how it's made. And Terry just finishes the sentence for him. And it's like this immediate reminder of what is your place and what narrative are you telling? Because it might be great grandfather Rutherford's chew stick to you. It's more than that. It was his ancestors' generosity and sharing that knowledge with the Rutherfords, kind of trusting them that what they were going to do with it. So now it's jarring to see that, say, 100, 200 years later, that was lost and that it was very much a Rutherford thing and they were taking credit for it when in fact that wasn't the case. And then Nathan goes on to say this led to the invention of toothbrushes and this Mm -hmm. and that and my brain was like oh and those are probably all the things that Rutherford Corporation makes and makes money off of so it's just another thing that white people appropriated to use as their own invention and make tons of money off of. I would argue episode three is my least favorite episode. I think it's more so maybe providing more context into where Nathan's views come into play and how he is just so infatuated with his family and their history. We see this big um, gathering for a family birthday and that he's creating shirts for everyone. He had planned a video for, for the birthday person. This house where it is his brother's that was passed down through generation and he's so connected to this place and knows everything about it. He knows so many details about 
things like this house, all the little secret doors, the people who lived in it. And it's a reminder that he doesn't know the whole history of Rutherford Falls and his family's involvement with Indigenous communities, but that he just perpetuates his own narrative and just totally believes uh, in the greatness that he's been told about his family. And I think it just points to this lack of relevance that his view of history and his knowledge holds for the rest of his family and the rest of the community. To be relevant, you need the whole story. You need all of the stories. You need not just your own. And he really doesn't do that. And so it's only ever relevant to him because it's only his story. It's only the story that he wants to hear and he wants to share. And so like the only person who was enthusiastic is that one in-law who married into the family and was like, this is so amazing. Like that poor guy is so stoked to be included. His story is that he got a new job or something and Nathan weaves it into the song and he's so happy to be included. But look at all the other people you're not including in your history and your storytelling. Like that to me was a moment of like, oh, that's laughable. His family's very much just here marrying him and letting him have his moment. And then they get on with their afternoon. He does his spiel when they first get there and everyone stops and turns. And then immediately when he's done, they go back to their conversations. Like he hadn't spoken. So like you mentioned, it's very much for him. And we learn more about his brother and his relationship and his older brother. He just humors him and lets him go along with it. And um, But I like that we see like this episode three, we see this peek into Nathan's family with like Aunt Ida's 90th birthday. And then in episode four, we get this peek into Terry's family and Terry's history. And I think that like the two are very interesting to play back to back. Young Terry selling brownies and learning about making profits and how business works, uh, especially in a white community. And he starts pushing this idea of making money onto his daughter who makes this beautiful beadwork and has zero interest in selling it, but just wants to give it away all the time. And it makes Terry furious, Mm -hmm. Um, but it makes her very happy to give it away. And I think that there's like probably some community value dichotomy there where there's, yes, you have to make money, but you also have to be generous with your talent and your ability for the community. I really like that you get to meet Terry's wife and he's got a son who plays lacrosse and the the mom is like crazy intense at the game. But yeah, it was like a really nice peek into his family life. I really liked, you know, like the daughter going over to the grandma's to learn about this beadwork. And uh, we see later the shopkeeper of the bead store commenting on how great her work is, especially for someone so young. And I think it speaks to the the cultural value and importance of passing down those kind of traditions and how she's just she's got this knack for it and I think it's great that she just wants to donate her work and as funny moments of Terry trying to push her selling it asking people what uh, they would would pay for it and it was upwards of $500 and that got him very excited but the daughter <laughs> like you say didn't have any interest selling it just rolled her eyes and even at that game the wife lets Terry know that he needs to lay off and let her find her own way and if she chooses to to donate these um, items that's fine she's gonna find her way and I think it like you mentioned his childhood that he didn't grow up extremely affluent so to him having his children financially secure is still very important yeah and I, like at one point he threatens to take away beating time with grandma and the daughter is like 
totally offended and he goes no I wouldn't do that like, like yeah. that's too important that's too culturally important he wouldn't do that I thought that was kind yeah. of cute then we get into this moment in the casino and Josh the reporter is there and he wants to probe Terry for all of these things but I really wanted to talk about this debate about the treaties because in Nathan's crazy rant back in the first episode he talks about the treaty or the, the agreement between the Rutherfords and the Minishanka nation being legally binding. And this sets forward Terry's lawsuit against Nathan. At this point, Nathan brings in some corn and some furs. And I just, the whole thing, the treaty is legally binding when it suits the Rutherfords, but it's only ceremonial when it doesn't. And I think that we often do see them being interpreted legally when it benefits the white community and not so when it doesn't. But the idea that the things in the treaty could be offered in modern day and it would be fine is so wildly offensive because Terry points out, this is not the way of the economy anymore. This is not the way of the world anymore. You can't treat us like relics and stick us in history as wanting corn and furs when we're here making revenue to ensure that our community is healthy because the government won't do that as they agreed to. Terry rightfully doesn't accept the corn and the furs. Instead, we hear the big 300 million because that is what the value is in today's dollars. Really, Nathan just came in with those goods out of a little bit of a fit because he had been served by Terry I think Terry, you see him play this like very cool and level-headed role and sticks to his guns despite pressures from corporate lawyers and knowing that treaties, like you mentioned, are still being disputed. And he ultimately just wants to help his community and do what's right by these past agreements. And like Josh, the reporter picks up on this idea and tries to push Terry on this train of thought that having a casino, this capitalist gain, doesn't fit Indigenous values. That cultural values and advancement like don't match. At that point, Terry does this crazy, intense and beautiful speech and pauses the recorder for Josh's interview and and gives this moment of what you're saying is wrong and it lacks context and it lacks truth. And you need power and you need money to help the community and make sure that everyone is healthy. Kind of calls Terry out with being involved in capitalism in such an overt way as to owning a casino. And how that makes him feel. And I think it was drawing to hear him compare his position as like a business owner with potential conflict with his community and like culture and how this white journalist Mm -hmm. felt like you couldn't have both. Mm -hmm. So I think it was really refreshing to hear Terry say, I need to participate in capitalism because I need to, like you say, support my community because otherwise they're not going to get that support. He has to play the game. And it was really refreshing to hear Terry say that it's not in conflict with his culture, that he just needs to be able to afford his community things that they're not getting the rightful support. It's unfair to say you can't do both because how could white colonial frameworks put so much emphasis on capitalism and certain positions of power 
and not allow indigenous communities to also have those positions of power and be involved in capitalism or whatever market we're talking about. And to say that by doing that, they're less of a community member, like you say, that it conflicts with their values is just completely unfair. Because I think if you look like non-Indigenous cultures, you never hear that same narrative with um, other folks. They're able to keep their culture while also participate in, you know, capitalism and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt like it really set the stage for the whole fight that was yet to come it made me so excited to see how the plot line develops from that point and I really like how you've got enough of a background for all the characters that you really see where they're coming from and why they do the things that they do see what happens next so if you have thoughts on Rutherford Falls you want to get in on the discussion we're happy to talk about it our whole staff is in love with the tv show so if you want to send us an email you can send that through the the BCMA at museum.bc.ca email and our staff will pick it up and send it along to everyone else. If there's a theme in this that you want to get at Koei and I for specific uh, nitty gritty conversation, we're super happy to do that as well. You can reach me at engagement at museum.bc.ca. And you can reach uh, me, Koei, at outreach at museum.bc.ca. Looking forward to chatting more about the rest of this season. Stay tuned for episode two. We'll catch you then. Bye, everyone. Bye.